0: Hi, welcome to Measured to Metric, a podcast about engineering monuments, the people who built them, and the people who use them. My name is Vivian Yu.
1: And my name is John Julius.
0: I'm a civil engineer.
1: And I'm married to a civil engineer.
0: Every episode, we're going to pick one engineering monument, maybe it's ancient or maybe it's brand new, from somewhere in the world.
1: We're going to tell you about what it is, who built it, when it was built, why it was built, and where it was built. And how. Oh, and how. Oh, it's so close. I was so smug. I thought for sure I nailed it this time.
0: Today, we're going to talk about the Los Angeles aqueduct. Okay. Do you know what an aqueduct is?
1: I know. Yeah, I know what an aqueduct is. It's a duct for water. Like It's basically a path that water travels down through hydraulic pressure right
0: yeah yeah Yeah. so the los angeles aqueduct basically redirects the owens river and made it so that it was possible for los angeles to grow to the size that it is now okay the main section that was built in the first phase was 375 kilometers long oh wow and it travels over the mojave desert into los angeles by gravity alone so there's no pumping And technically from one point to the other, it's downhill, but like it's not all downhill, right? So it does have to kind of roller coaster through the desert. And this is done by having enough pressure being sustained in the duct to carry it through up the next hill and then kind of come back down and build up the pressure again and then back up over the next hill. So it's quite a feat.
1: Yeah, that is very impressive.
0: This is in Los Angeles. And if you don't know where that is, that is in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Originally supplied enough water for a population of 2 million for 20 years, but that got to capacity pretty quickly as people flocked to Southern California.
1: Okay. Initially, when was this built? Because I feel like the f- people flocking to Southern California was kind of like a late 20th century, mid to late.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... This was started in 1905. Okay. And then it was expanded again to have a second section, I think, in the 70s. Right. It is recognized by the American Society of Civil Engineers on the list of historic civil engineering landmarks. Okay. And I don't know who said this, but it kept getting cited as the greatest civil engineering project after the Panama Canal.
1: Wow. That is,
0: uh... it's very American-centric statement.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I could go with that. Well, anyhow, okay. Do you think that that's kind of a little bit too brave, or do you think that this is a truly impressive project on scale with the Panama Canal?
0: You know, I'm here to present facts, so I'll let you decide. But I think the reason why they said that is, you remember the Panama Canal had a pretty major economic impact? Yeah. And you thought it was pretty stupid because you don't really care about building things for pure economic reasons. Yeah, sure. The impact that this aqueduct had for Los Angeles is pretty significant. You know, Southern California would not be the way it is right now. If not for this aqueduct. There's no way it could have sustained that much population. There's no way it could have sustained that much agriculture.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. All right. I'll I'll give this one I'll give this one the beans.
0: Because if you think of LA, like I'm thinking palm trees mm-hmm. and like lush, almost tropical climate.
1: Well, yeah, but like that's kind of partly True of LA, but then you've got like the desert,
0: mm-hmm, right? Which is not that far. And really LA should have been a bit of a desert if not for this yeah. aqueduct. So historically the source of the water comes from winter snows from the Sierra mountains. So a lot of the runoffs into the Owens river originally came from snow melt from the mountains. Okay. And there's an article from Scientific American in 1913 that said sufficient water flows into the river to irrigate all this valley with an overflow into Owens Lake where it performs no useful service of sufficient volume to supply a city of 2 million people with an ample quantity for domestic use. So Owens Lake, it was originally a lake that was fed by the Owens River. And we're going to see that there's a huge conflict between the Owens River Valley and the people that live there versus LA where the all the water has been diverted. Right. So Owens Lake now currently is dry. It dried up actually quite quickly. It's not like this is a recent thing. It happened almost immediately after the aqueduct was built. Oh no. And so you can see it's really funny like every time I read 1920s or early 20th century scientific American articles, they're so loaded with bias right that I'm not quite used to in today's scientific american journal Mm -hmm. because the way it's raised here says with an overflow into owens lake where it performs no useful service right so (laughs) it's trying to justify the existence of this aqueduct saying all this water is just going away so nobody's using it anyway when in reality like people live there
1: (laughs) okay so not so great yeah all right but yeah you know scientific american i don't i don't trust scientific american thanks to this
0: no, like don't knock Siam. I'm, I'm not gonna.
1: I'm not gonna knock science in general, right? <laughs> but I just feel like you know, at the time, people were probably reading it and just like that seems like a perfectly valid argument. When we look back fifty years from now, at what sort of it's stuff? it's a peer-reviewed journal
0: now. It's very different. Okay. So Los Angeles in the early 1900s faced with burgeoning population and there just wasn't enough water to supply all the population. And the city was desperate for a new water source. We're going to meet a few characters. Okay. Okay. Two specifically. And you know how every time we run into these 20th century engineering projects, there's usually a hero, right? There's usually a guy who just built this whole thing.
1: Sure. Yeah. A handful of ours so far have had that.
0: Yeah. The engineering genius that put this all together and made it possible. Yeah. Yeah. I would not call them heroes in this story. Okay. They did some pretty underhanded things. Engineering wise, they kind of did some interesting things, but they also did some bad engineering as well. Oh, good. So the first character I'm going to introduce is Frederick Eaton.
1: Oh, with a name like that. How can you trust him?
0: Frederick Eaton.
1: Frederick Eaton.
0: He was the mayor of LA from 1898 to 1900.
1: Okay. Oh, half a term. Two years. Yeah, half a term.
0: (laughs) You would not believe what he did for LA.
1: Okay, what did he do? In two years. For LA or to LA?
0: He did for LA to everyone else. Oh, good. Okay. So he was originally part of the Los Angeles Water Company and he became the civil engineer of the city in 1886. So before he was the mayor, he was a self-taught engineer
1: oh good another one of these
0: yeah and when he became mayor and even before that he recalled a camping trip in the sierras looking down on owens lake and thinking oh look at all the water i mean it's far but like it's all downhill so like this idea of an aqueduct was already forming in his mind before he became the mayor
1: okay man with a plan
0: Yeah. So while he was working at the LA water company, he hired another engineer called William Mulholland. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm saying he hired another engineer. He hired him to be a ditch digger for water distribution, which is what the water company did at the time was they dug ditches to carry water. Right. Precursor to aqueducts. And so William Mulholland basically worked his way up from a ditch digger to become a water engineer, also self-taught.
1: Oh man, there was a different time. I could have been an engineer (laughs) back in these days. Just go around, I taught myself.
0: So when Eaton became the mayor of LA, he appointed Mulholland to become the chief engineer. And together they had this vision of building this aqueduct. And together they manipulated All the political willpower, including the real estate that they needed, the water rights they needed for big swaths of land around Southern California to make this possible.
1: Wow. Okay. I'm curious how this all played out.
0: Yeah. Have you heard of the California water wars?
1: No. I feel like it's something that I should have heard about, but I don't think that I have.
0: Okay. So, at this time, around Owens Valley was mostly populated with farmers and ranchers that had kicked out the Native Americans. Okay. So, the indigenous people had lived there for many, 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 many generations. And they got kicked out by a bunch of white farmers and ranchers. Right. And these farmers were seeking federal funding to build irrigation projects from the river so that they could fertilize and irrigate the land. And basically grow for agriculture reasons. Okay. Okay. So to get the federal funding for this at the time had to go through a specific agency called the reclamation service. Right. And the agent in charge of that agency was a close friend of Eaton's. Oh, lovely. So what happened in the end was Eaton hired him to become a private consultant to advise him on how to get the proper water rights and the land rights. And in return, he did just that. He helped him. He gave him access to classified information as he was still a government agent, but also being a private consultant.
1: Yeah. Like, so, okay.
0: You can see the corruption there, right?
1: Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: So, Eaton basically completely screwed over all the farmers and the ranchers from having any chance of being able to access that land.
1: Unbelievable. And the river. Okay.
0: He then bought land, personally, bought the land around Owens Valley hoping to sell it back to LA at a profit. Yeah. Okay. So, as a mayor, he knew that he was going to build this. As a investor, he bought this land hoping to sell it back to the city that he was the mayor of.
1: Yes. And then he could, you know, influence the price that he's selling it back for yes. as the mayor. Oh, wow. I think that there are laws against that sort of thing now.
0: So in the end, what he actually did was he managed to keep the land, became a cattle farmer after he retired from being the mayor And just giving or selling the water rights to L.A.
1: Oh. So
0: he didn't even sell the land back to L.A. L.A. just got the water rights.
1: Okay. And so would that be like a consistent, like a recurring profit then?
0: Yes. So he basically got his cake and got to eat it too. What a guy. And then while he was doing that and while he was pulling his political strings, Mahalan was portraying the need for this water as though it was life or death to LA. But in reality, he was diverting more than he needed for LA to nearby San Fernando Valley, which was just north of LA, where private investors who were mostly friends of Mahalan and Eaton were have been buying up land. Ugh based on speculation. So they were speculating on this land being much more profitable because it's closer to LA. It's going to have all this extra water to feed it. Yeah. And these investors ended up actually providing the bonds to fund the construction of the aqueduct. Okay. So a lot of private interest.
1: Yeah. That is like, Oh, there are laws against a lot of this stuff now.
0: Right. So they screwed over all these ranchers and all these farmers out of fertile land and being able to make a profit or make a living at least off of that land by profiting themselves and their friends mm-hmm. with the message that this is, they're actually doing this for LA.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, government officials, right?
0: And then the final step, basically Eaton lobbied Washington. Okay. So at the okay. time the president was Theodore Roosevelt.
1: Good old Teddy.
0: And Eaton managed to convince him that water was more important in LA than Owens Valley. Oh, and finally Roosevelt decided in favor of LA. So Ugh. they took all the water in Owens river to LA more than was necessary for the city and the former Owens Lake became a dry salt and alkali flat. Right. And I'm going to get back to the implications of that for the people. So right now, just remember that these farmers that were barely eking out a living to begin with got just totally screwed over. And now they're left with not only like not a river, but also not a lake, like yeah. just nothing. Their whole place kind of started to become a desert.
1: Oh, Okay.
0: People were understandably upset in the twenties, farmers and ranchers rebelled. They sent a lot of threats. There were a set of brothers, the Watterson brothers. Okay. I like it when that happens, the Watersons. Yeah. They organized a lot of the farmers and the ranchers nearby and they started sabotaging the aqueduct. So they would dynamite Ooh. parts of the aqueduct. They would block access and et cetera. Yeah. But a lot of that money that they used to run these operations were actually funded by the savings, like the personal savings of the farmers and the ranchers that okay. had entrusted them with it. And in the end, their whole operation went bankrupt. It turned out they had embezzled a lot of money. Everyone lost their savings by the 30s. What do you think happened, right? The oh, 30s, no. the depression, the Dust Bowl, Grapes of Wrath.
1: Yeah, that's upsetting.
0: So then everyone collapsed, everyone lost everything, everyone's savings were wiped out, LA was in great position to buy up all the rest of the land and the water rights, and 90% of the Owens Valley agriculture was basically dead. Ugh. So, California water wallers.
1: Yeah, none of that is like an uplifting engineering story.
0: No, no. I was really excited to research the history of this because the reason why I even know about this was I had a fantastic hydraulics professor when I was in university. And when I asked him about how the Roman aqueducts worked, he said, you should really look into LA aqueducts. They're just fantastic. They're what built Southern California. Like you should really look into that. And, you know, when a good professor mm-hmm. says something like it can be very Impactful, Yeah, for sure. So I've always thought about that. And this was a great opportunity for me to research into it, not realizing just like what an awful history this was going to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, this has been brutal on so many levels.
0: But it got it built. Okay. Okay.
1: okay. Thing is built. Thing is working.
0: There's a little bit of irony that I like to point out being that these white ranchers and farmers stole all the land from the indigenous people and then they got stolen their land and rights from the rich people. So like, I don't know.
1: I I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of, let me put it this way. I'm not upset on behalf of the ranchers as much as just the overall corruption. Although I will say that being taken for your life savings by like an embezzler, that's never so good. Like when you play some like political espionage game, right? Oh yeah, we want this land. We're going to take it from the native people. And then, oh yeah. And by the way, then the government comes along and just like, oh, we want this land. We're going to take it from you. It's like, well, you took it, you know, you're, you're all playing the same game, but having somebody come along and then yeah. swindle you out of your life savings.
0: And made them and their own friends super rich. Yeah. Right. So they come in. With this idea that this is for the greater good, they try to sell the whole public on this idea that, well, it's for the good of L.A. When in reality, they just profited themselves.
1: Yeah. Not so good.
0: Yeah. Not super great. Yeah. And we'll pick this up again in a little bit in terms of more the modern day impact. Right. Of what that is. We'll get into the science and the innovations part next. So, you know, this is actually some of the good stuff, right? This is going to be more exciting, more uplifting, the ingenuity and the science. Cool. Right. So getting into the science of things, this aqueduct, like I said, went through the desert. It also went through the San Fernando mountains. So it was not a clear cut, easy thing to install. Right. And one of the most difficult parts was the Elizabeth tunnel, which was eight kilometers through solid granite of the San Fernando mountains. Okay.
1: Okay. So even I know granite is not easy to get through.
0: No, especially in the early 1900s before they had mechanical tools really to help them with this. Right. So it took 250 men night and day, and they worked at an average rate of 27 centimeters per hour.
1: Oh no.
0: Right. So it took three and a half years to complete, which they expected it to take longer. So they were at least a little bit ahead of schedule. But yeah, like we're talking about people with pickaxes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That is pretty rough.
0: They also crossed some other mountains and tunnels. They crossed valleys with elevated steel siphons. And there are pictures that we're going to post in the valleys, basically it's a steel pipe for the most part. There are some concrete sections. I'll talk about that a little later, but mostly steel parts kind of set on these little concrete stands all okay. along. Quite an impressive thing. For the most part, the pipes were about between three and four meters in diameter. Okay. So they're they're pretty big things. To build this, there was a lot of logistics involved. So they had to transport the construction material up mountainsides and they did this by building aerial trams. So this is going to be a running theme of like all the things that they had to build to build this. Yeah. There's a lot of supporting infrastructure. They also had to bring in a lot of water because of all the concrete and cement that they were mixing. Okay. And they were mixing this in the middle of the desert. So they also had to like build the aqueduct in sections. So like as it was coming down, they were using that water to build the next section of the aqueduct. Oh man. They also built a railroad, a rail line, of course, to transport material. They built over 800 kilometers of roads as well. They built power to power the cement manufacturing.
1: Okay. And I'll get more
0: into that. So yeah, just there's a lot of things that they built along this 300, almost 400 kilometer of aqueduct.
1: Yeah. In parallel. That's intense. Okay.
0: And they used some kind of new technology material and equipment. So, you know, when you're around construction site and you see those big yellow tractors with the big like cat... Yeah. Sign next to it. Yeah. You know what those are, right? Like,
1: well, but like, yeah, which one? So you've got the dirt movers and you've got like the bulldozers, excavators.
0: I mean the brand, like the cat brand. Cat brand. Yeah. Yeah. So it stands for Caterpillar. Yeah. So the first Caterpillar was actually built to construct the aqueduct. Oh,
1: well, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and they called it the caterpillar because it used like the same kind of, you know, track and wheel like a like a tank. Yeah. They called it a caterpillar cuz it crawls like a caterpillar. Huh. And it was used to haul materials across the desert cuz the sand was just so loose like they couldn't build a railroad across it and transport material directly right. in. So yeah. they were using teams of mule.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. High tech.
0: So the caterpillar was invented to help them haul material across the sand and across steeper grades. And they claim that it costs half to a quarter the cost of a team of mules. Wow. If you go to the caterpillar website, they'll actually like talk about their own history and how they were instrumental and they were basically invented to built this LA aqueduct but like I did find in the LA water museum website that they broke down a lot in the desert which does happen to this type of equipment especially like the first type right like your sand and all that grit gets into all the nitty-gritty parts and like it jams up all your machinery and mechanics and in the end they just abandoned it and went back to mules
1: Oh well, that's a shame. But still, I mean, as an innovation, you know, to save money and all that, nobody gets it right the first time.
0: No, and obviously they learned their lessons and they kept going, and now yeah. Cat is like, what? It's it's basically all I recognize when it comes to construction equipment.
1: Yeah, they're basically like the standard for construction. I don't even know if John Deere is is in there. No, I that's more farming, yeah, isn't it? Tractors and lawnmowers and stuff. I yeah. cast the only one that I could even think of and i know of cat like that like there's brand recognition there yeah
0: it's got the little triangle underneath the a right like yeah you recognize it and speaking of mule teams i came across the most interesting mule team driver and he became a little bit of a legend Okay? okay so his name is well he went by whistling dick
1: oh no okay good start
0: He was a 74-year-old man. Sure. And he was basically like just a cowboy. Okay. Okay. And he drove a team of 52 mules, 52 animals. Yeah. Right? Like (laughs) connected together, pulling a wagon of steel pipes Right, and these pipes were so massive and so heavy, going up and down the canyons and whatnot, that it took fifty-two of them. And so there's this like famous picture, and I'm gonna post it of him just like standing on top of this pipe, hands on his hips, seventy-four year old. It says that on the on the poster, seventy-four year old, whistling, dick, <laughs> mushing the mule. He's like, get out there, and so he's like a little bit of a legend. Okay. I mean,
1: yeah, people people do love cowboys, um,
0: and he was like I said, seventy four, and still just right in the construction of it. Not only was he transporting the material, he was doing the labor and assisting in the construction of the Jawbone Canyon Siphon, which is one of the most difficult roller coastery part of the aqueduct, where it went through the desert and it came down this super steep slope there are pictures of kind of like funiculars being built on the side of it just to like right. carry material up and down. So these sort of inclined rail lines. Yeah. And that's how this thing was built. So he was right in there and he's a legend. Whistling okay. Dick.
1: Whistling Dick. Oh man. See, if they were building the LA Aqueducts today and Whistling Dick did this, like he probably would have been, you know, rewarded with some like trendy Hollywood restaurant. Whistle and Dick's bar. He would and just grill. be a
0: meme. Like, well, he yeah, would be yeah. a living meme.
1: Yeah, he would be all over like Reddit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whistle and Dick, though. That is uh, like, you unfortunate. You know what?
0: We're not too late. Let's bring that back. Let's make Whistle and Dick a, a and meme. Dick.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so LA.
0: <laughs> okay, the Jawbone Canyon siphon, that massive steel pipe connecting top and bottom of the canyon. As it comes down the canyon, builds up a lot of hydraulic pressure enough to force it up and over the next ridge without needing a pump. Okay. Basic hydraulics. There was also the Whitney siphon and also the Ellesmere siphon. And these are interesting because they are not steel. They are reinforced concrete pipes. Okay. And they're cast in place. Wow. Okay. So this might mean nothing to you, but water- under pressure exerts a lot of pressure on the pipe right yes so steel is great because steel bends and steel will expand and steel will give and it can withhold that pressure concrete is not like concrete is is rigid yeah right concrete will crack Mm -hmm. it's crazy to me and we do build concrete pipes, right? Like you see them on the side of the road, these kind of like prefabricated concrete rings and they usually fit on top of each other. Right. That's Mm -hmm. how we kind of store them. And that will be a manhole, but like, you know, horizontally we do the same thing. It's just these precast pipes. Yeah. Right. They're already fabricated. You just lock them together and grout it. Yeah. This is cast in place. So reinforced concrete pipes cast in place, no expansion joints what like modern day me engineer i'm just like uh, uh, i would never do that i would (laughs) never do that but they basically designed the reinforcing steel in it to the factor of safety of four and they mix the concrete such that even just the concrete alone would have enough strength to resist the pressure. Not to mention that it's like got a 20 centimeter shell. Like it's 20 centimeters thick all around.
1: Right. So 20 centimeters for if anybody's listening to this from the States is about eight inches, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thick. Okay. Like we have eight inch pipes. We're talking about eight inch thick, three meters in diameter. So. Wow. Yeah. These things are fine. Like they're not, they're not cracking. They're still fine. Good for them. It is crazy. They are the largest reinforced concrete pipes in the U.S. Okay. Apparently there's been larger in Spain, but like we're just talking about the U.S. right now. So yeah, those
1: What's, are pretty interesting. What does Spain care about reinforced pipes in Spain? I want American reinforced pipes.
0: And then remember how I talked about these power plants that they built, right? Yes. Okay. So... With the water coming downhill, they also wanted to harness the power of that water for hydroelectricity. Okay. So there are 14 hydroelectric plants built Whoa. along this entire thing. I think there are only 12 operational now because some of them got washed out by... Right, but
1: that, I mean, that's pretty impressive.
0: Right? So they had these pipes building up pressure, right? Building up pressure, building up pressure... And then run it through to harness the power and then build it back up, build it back up, build it back up, run it through. And basically, they generated hydroelectric power to supply energy to run the equipment to build more of the aqueduct. Like Whoa. this all got built section by section together.
1: Yeah. It's like building the plane while you're flying the plane. Right? Isn't yeah. is that crazy? I like it.
0: They also built transmission lines along the way. These are huge projects like the electrification of America is something that I want to do an episode on because it's massive, like building transmission lines all across large swaths of land. So they were doing this while they were building the aqueduct just so they could keep building the aqueduct like crazy.
1: Yeah, very impressive.
0: And so these transmission lines and these power plants powered L.A. as well. So not only did they supply water, they supplied electricity. Yeah. And they had so much electricity that they actually had excess and they sold it to Pasadena. Okay. So then they also built extra transmission lines. Yeah. So that they could transport it elsewhere. And then they built temporary transmission lines to power aqueduct dredging and equipment at the cement plants so that they can construct and build all that cement and the cement and the concrete pipes through the Mojave Desert.
1: Okay. Big project. Lots going on here.
0: Right? One huge project that kind of gave way to multiple big projects as well. So pretty impressive. Now, one of the things that Mahalan also did, so he was very good at building aqueducts. I will grant him that. He understood hydraulics very well. One of the things that he wanted to do was also reserve water. Okay. Okay? So remember he wanted to feed water not just LA, but also the areas around LA.
1: Yes, And
0: he was very concerned with what if the aqueduct failed or exploded or burst somewhere? What if, and this actually happened, it was sabotaged. Yeah. Right. He didn't want LA to just go dry because something happened along the pipeline.
1: Okay. Yeah. Valid concern.
0: So he built a number of reservoirs and, he built these reservoirs by looking at a lot of different canyons and natural formation of the area and basically trying to build a dam in one area, capitalizing on the natural valley and then filling that up as a reservoir. Okay. Okay. So he built a dam and it was named the Maholland Dam. Yeah. Okay? Very, I I don't think he named it the Maholland Dam, but like... Someone did. Someone did whatever. Ugh. That worked out very well for him, right? The Mulholland Dam was just fine. Okay. So he thought, well, let's just do this again. Okay. And this is what led to St. Francis Dam. Okay. St. Francis Dam is the worst American civil engineering disaster of the 20th century.
1: Ooh, that's Okay. So you
0: have the engineer who's responsible for the second greatest civil engineering project after Panama Canal. Yeah. And also responsible for the worst American civil engineering disaster of the 20th century.
1: Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Fill me in. Give me the dirt.
0: So what he did was he recycled the design from his Mulholland Dam and plopped it down in a valley that he thought would just be perfect. Oh, dear. He either did none or just very limited geotechnical investigations. And what have we learned it by this point about geotechnical investigations?
1: That they sometimes reveal things that you wouldn't expect.
0: And if you don't do them, things will fall down. Yes. I feel like every failure that we talk about is always geotechnical. Sure. Sure. Right? How many have we talked about on this podcast? Like, quite a few. And they're always just like, ah, they didn't know what the ground was doing. Yep. So he decided to build this huge dam on this ground that I've read some stuff about. And basically, it was just soft. Okay. It was soft, kind of sedimentary land. So sedimentary means that it's in layers, layers means it's prone to kind of shaving off or shearing off. Like, yeah. it doesn't have good stability. It doesn't have good strength to hold itself together. And so imagine this Canyon of kind of soft rock. Okay. So it's like a horseshoe and he built a dam on the open end of that horseshoe and uses that as a reservoir. Okay. Can you imagine this?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Okay. So this horseshoe of soft rock is being dammed by solid concrete. Okay. Yeah. And he had designed this for a different spot. He started construction. He was kind of starting to panic that maybe it wasn't going to hold as much water as he wanted it to. So then, as it was being constructed, he added three meters to the height without adding any width to the base. Okay, so okay, he was making it taller without strengthening any other part of it. Oh no! And then he did this again. So he. Added total of six meters. And now we're not just talking about a tower, right? Imagine you're building a really tall tower, you add a few meters to the top. Sure, there's gravity involved. Yeah. You might be okay for the most part. Yeah. Water increases pressure exponentially
1: <laughs>
0: in depth, right? You're adding a lot more pressure against the structure and against the abutment, abutment being that land. That's directly in contact with the dam. So the dam is like only being anchored to the ground by the sides. Yeah. Right. And so when it failed and it failed substantially, like it failed catastrophically. And I'm not saying that to be like hyperbolic. A catastrophic failure is a technical term. Yeah. Yeah. That's a sudden and total failure That you cannot recover from And that's what this was Oof. So as it was being constructed And before it was even totally filled There were cracks showing up At the bottom of the dam There were cracks showing up at the sides Where it was touching the ground The existing sides And Mahalan kept looking at them And was like, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine Like, this is normal, this is normal Does oh, he know no. anything about dam construction? Sort of?
1: Yeah, but not Like, enough. not really?
0: So he just kept saying, no, it's normal. It's normal. Didn't put any contraction joints at all in the dam, which for a concrete dam is like very important, right? Like concrete will shrink, right? It will crack. And if you don't put joints in, it will crack in unpredictable ways. Right. And so it started cracking and he would just be like, it's fine, grout it. It's fine, grout it. Oh no. So supposedly he had inspected a crack just Hours before its failure. Yeah. And it just collapsed the first time the reservoir was actually filled to capacity.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And this massive wave of water comes shooting down the canyon. Yeah. It washes out a thousand houses, it Uh. washes out one of the power stations. They don't even have a good idea of the death count because this was in 1928. So we're talking about, you know, coming up to the Great Depression. There were a lot of people, like if you read Greats of Wrath, there were a lot of people that were just transient farmhands. They didn't have permanent locations. A lot of people just kind of like sleeping and living out on the fields. And all those people were lost. They could not even estimate the actual death count. So officially the death toll was 450, but it could be much higher. And a lot of bodies were never found.
1: Oh, that's horrible.
0: Yeah. Worst American civil engineering disaster. Yeah. He also had no idea of like hydraulic uplift, which is a really interesting thing that I had only just started reading about as I was researching this. And maybe I'll do an episode like on the specific like failures of this, because it's really interesting. But basically, if you can think of a dam being like a vertical face, a wall, okay? Okay. And you've got water pushing against it. Your bottom is sort of anchored. Your top is the most flexible part, right? So you've got this vertical face and it's being pushed by water. So it starts doing this where it kind of flexes. Yeah.
1: Sorry. So no, <laughs> one, no one can see your hands. Vivian is making a hand gesture right now.
0: Sorry. It's flexing where the top is flexing outwards but under the pressure of the water, right? So the water is yeah. pushing the top over because the bottom is anchored. Okay. And as the top is... Flexing forward, then the bottom also starts lifting. Because if this is a rectangle, right? Mm-hmm. And it's being rotated forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That bottom is going to start lifting.
1: Oh, that's bad.
0: And so this is hydraulic uplift, which is not a concept that we understood at the time of this construction of this dam. It's a concept that we only started learning in the mid-1900s where we got fancier dam construction. Sure. So as that lifts, more water seeps under, pushes it up, right? So then you start getting forces that's pushing it forward and up from the bottom, which compounds the problem. Mm -hmm. of the dam kind of rotating and bending.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like one of those problems that just recurs over and over and over again, right?
0: Yeah, so if you'd never designed to compensate for this additional pressure, it leads to catastrophic failure.
1: Yeah, not so good.
0: And so that's what happened with St. Francis's Dam. Completely destroyed Mulholland's career. He was cleared of all charges.
1: Okay, well that doesn't surprise me. I mean he
0: He was, yeah, politically powerful but his career and reputation was completely ruined. Okay, good. And this disaster actually led to California legislature to regulate civil engineering. Oh. So in 1929 the Board of Registration for Civil Engineers was created and this is basically, you know, how Californians would get their PEs. Sure. To become professional engineers. Cool. No more self taught engineers.
1: Yeah, good. And the world is better for it.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of the story of how this was built. It's actually really interesting. St. Francis' Dam, you can still see it today, the remnants of it. Ooh. So they left it. It's a little bit of a memorial. There's a huge slab of concrete that still remains from the middle because sure. all the sides had washed out, but the middle part remains so you can go there and see it. Hmm.
1: That's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. So just to recap, the things that they built for this, right? Yeah. 374 kilometers of aqueducts. Quite a bit. Railroads. Yeah. Aerial trams. Yeah. Power stations and transmission lines. Yeah. Five reservoirs. Okay. And dams to support those reservoirs. Quite impressive.
1: Yeah, this is quite impressive. Also, that people can wear yoga pants and go on juice fasts and just be generally obnoxious.
0: <laughs> You're welcome, LA.
1: Yeah. No, that's not fair. LA is fine. I've been there and everybody was actually very friendly. I just buy into the stereotypes every once in a while. (laughs) I, Yeah, you know, LA LA is fine. Juice fasts are fine. You do you.
0: All right. So today, when the aqueduct was constructed, there was a huge celebration, a huge, like a viewing party of when all the water actually came rushing down the pipeline into LA for the first time. There are these pictures of people, you know, like fancy ladies with parasols and gloves just standing there watching this like big wave of water come in.
1: Okay. So almost like a ribbon cutting, but more of like a...
0: Flash flooding? I don't know.
1: A wetting party. Oh,
0: gross. (laughs) (laughs) And there's this phrase that Mahalan said... At the opening of this, at this so-called ribbon cutting. And it's quoted multiple times, and it is, I think, very anticlimactic and right. very silly as as a thing. Okay.
1: Yes. Okay, wait. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess what he said. Yeah. Welcome to the moistening.
0: <laughs> That's disgusting. That would still have been better.
1: Oh no. So
0: what he said, and I can't tell if this is like maybe he was like so stressed out by the end of this construction or whatnot. But he said, there it is. Take it. (sighs) That's it. This super famous line that keeps getting repeated over and over again about the aqueduct. Every engineering job has like this great phrase that I found. And this is it for the aqueduct. There it is. Take it.
1: So, I mean... This guy probably would have bought wholeheartedly into manifest destiny and <laughs> ideas of American exceptionalism, right? No, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So to buy wholeheartedly into those things, of course, that's that is like very much like the attitude.
0: Well, I mean, look at all the things that he and Eaton did. Right? It was very yeah. much like if you were smart enough and conniving enough to do it, then like, it's fine. You know, ethics be damned.
1: Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. It's very succinct. There it is. Take it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Not a great
0: speech. So the construction of the first aqueduct allowed for significant growth of LA. Sure. By 1970, they started the planning and construction of the second aqueduct. Yeah. Basically, the agency wanted to divert more surface water and pump groundwater actually out of the ground near the Sierras and bring it down to LA to meet demands. Sure. Okay. There were no environmental impact report completed.
1: Oh, nice.
0: And they basically pumped groundwater in an uncontrolled manner. There was no conservation about it. There was no control of it. They just pumped it up and dried up the valley completely. Vegetation died. You know, when you start pumping that much water out of the ground, you also start destabilizing the ground as well. Yeah. And the Inyo County, which is basically what the Owens Valley Mm -hmm. area is called now, sued LA. Oh, good. Because it destroyed their entire land and their ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. But LA just kept pumping. And they submitted two short environmental impact reports after, but both were completely rejected by the court as being inadequate. Oh, but they just kept goodness. going. Yeah. So in 1991, the long term water agreement was signed to control the pumping. And in 1997, LA would allow the lower Owens River. To rewater, so basically, okay. like become a river again. And they intended to do this by 2003. And this was supposed to be like a partial mitigation for damages to the Owens Valley, but it didn't actually happen. Oh, no. And they got sued again in 2003 when it didn't happen. And so they revised the deadline to 2005, which also got missed. Uh-huh. So finally, 2006, they started to let water flow through the Owens River again. And so this water war like never really ended.
1: It's still ongoing. It's kept ongoing,
0: And it's really upsetting because Owens Lake, remember I said, has completely dried up. Yeah. And so has Mono Lake and so has a number of other water courses. And it causes a lot of issues. Like just because your water dried up doesn't mean that it becomes... Like useful land. Mm -hmm. So, what they didn't know was that this lake contained some amount of arsenic, cadmium, chromium, like toxic substances and chemicals.
1: Oh, that is kind of hilarious.
0: Which became dry and airborne. Yeah. And so, they had a really serious issue of toxic dust that was being circulated throughout this land because there was just no water. Okay. That's not funny at all. No. So the EPA, the Environment Protection Agency, labeled it as violating the Clean Air Act. But what are they supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's been this huge debate and this huge fight between the Owens Valley and the Inyo County because they were basically being told that they need to clean up their act, but it is not through their own control that this was happening. Right. So there's a yeah. lot of understandable feelings that the fact that LAU got to prosper at our expense, like you need to contribute to remediate this problem. It's yeah, not something that sure. they could solve themselves. So this is still ongoing. That's why they kept suing each other into the two thousands. That's why even still today, they're still arguing about who should pay for what, Like how much do LA feel they need to actually remediate for all damages? Yeah. It's very complicated.
1: (laughs) Oh, that is just terrible.
0: So the impact of this is yes, economic wealth, population growth for LA, but like significant environmental damage.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And climate change, we're starting to see a lot more unpredictable weather patterns Mm -hmm. and just less snowmelt, right? So for the first time since 1913, they actually had to dam up the aqueduct in 2015 because there just wasn't enough water coming down and they had to preserve the snowmelt. And from May to October in 2015, it was dammed. Like water was not coming down because there just wasn't enough.
1: So that's crazy.
0: Yeah. That's the aqueduct an engineering marvel, but not without its impacts and challenges.
1: Yeah. I got to say, this was one of the more infuriating, like we've done some projects with, you know, severe moral and political implications. This one, it seems like just rich people working behind the scenes to get their way more so than any of the others.
0: It is a little bit upsetting. And I think it just reminds us of the responsibility that we have. A lot of engineering responsibility has to do with human lives but part of our responsibility as professional engineers is also to not do environmental harm Mm -hmm. that's something that we need to consider and the bureaucracy is put in place for a good reason Mm -hmm. so a little bit of a sad story this episode but i hope you learned a lot and if you did enjoy this, please subscribe and rate on whatever podcast platform you're on. It really helps us out a lot. If you would leave us a rating, we'd love to hear from you. Subscribe and reach out to us on our social media. We're on Facebook at Measured and Metric. And we're on Instagram at Measured and Metric as well. We're on Twitter at Measured and Met. And of course, our website is Measured and Special thanks to Astronomic Audio for editing and sound engineering. And remember to...
1: Always measure in metric.